Francis and I happen to have visited uh, two of the lowest points on our planet. Firstly, the Dead Sea. Uh, there are no plants or fish or any other visible signs of life in the sea. And its salt concentration in the Dead Sea is a staggering 33.7%, which is 8.6 times saltier than the ocean water. And we visited as a part of our, our uh, trip to the Holy Land 11 years ago. And Francis and I swam in the Dead Sea, or rather floated. I don't think you can really sing, uh, uh, swim in it. Uh, it's a better description, floating. You're held up by the salt content. And you're warned not to put your face anywhere near the water, because if you touch your uh, face with your hands after it's been in the salt, you'll regret it afterwards. I think there were some people in our group who did regret it uh, when they did that. The Dead Sea, in that low point of the earth, is a strange, eerie, and lifeless place. Another place that we visited is uh, another one of the lowest points of the earth, and that is California in the USA. Francis and I were there just two years ago, and I believe it's the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere, 262 feet below sea level. It's called Death Valley, home to the dead, uh, bad water basin. It's also the hottest place on the earth. You can fry an egg on the ground, it's so hot, and very little lives there. Death Valley, that low point, is also a strange, eerie, and lifeless place. I'm conscious that at the moment in the world, due to the pandemic and because of other challenges that we face, many people are feeling that they're in a very low place at the moment. Feeling isolated or depressed, weary, hopeless, perhaps challenged in terms of health, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, uh, finances are difficult, uh, some people haven't got employment or are on furlough, uh, perhaps they've been surrounded by death in their families, we certainly through, know through our family and friends there have been many bereavements. Grief weighs very heavy upon many people. And you can feel incredibly low. And it is a strange, eerie, and lifeless place to be. And the Wesley brothers, this is Aldersgate Sunday, experienced a low point in their ministries. In October 1735, they'd initially set sail for Georgia in America. John went in optimistically to save the world, to be a missionary to the colony, and Charles served as secretary to the governor. But their time in Georgia wasn't a good time. In fact, it was a failure, really. They didn't convert a single soul. John was also a failure in love uh, during that time. And they returned back to London feeling in a really low place. What's more, they'd witnessed the Moravian Christians having a confident faith that they lacked themselves. Something was really missing. It left them with that longer longing for a deeper experience of faith and forgiveness. It must have been for them 
a strange, eerie, spiritually lifeless time. And then consider our Old Testament lesson. Uh, How would it have been understood by those first readers of the scroll of Ezekiel? At that time, the Jewish people were divided under different rulers. The kingdom of Judah had uh, once been united under some great leaders like David and Solomon. It had been a land that had been bound up with the covenant, the promise given to Abraham and renewed through Moses that they would experience the promised land. But unfortunately, this land of promise had become a land of division and disintegration. In fact, it's a theological tragedy that lies at the heart of the book of Ezekiel that the people of the land of flowing of milk and honey were in a dry, strange, and eerie, lifeless experience. And it's in the midst of breakdown and death and hopelessness that Ezekiel asked the question, or God asked Ezekiel the question, Son of man, can these bones live? Dead sea, death valley, and here, nothing but death. Utter devastation that was left, uh, left the people with painful questions. The Jewish people were asking, were they still the people of God? Well, God was distressed at this uh, situation that had come about really because of faithlessness, but yearns for a return to the covenant. And there's a strong message that if they get their relationship right with him, then good things, including unity and prosperity, would flow from that. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann summarizes this as Israel being regathered in obedience. That's what was needed. And we know that there was a hope as we look at the story afterwards. Ahead would be a a life of future restoration and the exiles would return home. But Ezekiel was a priest who had been taken into exile by the Babylons when Jerusalem fell in 597 BC. He writes, while Judah is in exile in Babylonia, he sees the bones of those who'd fallen in battle, something that they understood as they're reaping God's judgment for their sinfulness. And Ezekiel was called to be a prophet to this rebellious people. And he was married, but his wife had died at that time of the Babylonian invasion, invasion, probably at their hands. And his grief for her was expressed in his writing. There was a sense of utter hopelessness. How could God's lifeless people be restored? Well, God was going to do what the people couldn't. Indeed, what they didn't deserve. So God takes the initiative and he commands Ezekiel to prophesy over the bones that he would revive and reclothe them. And God gives the breath, the breath of life, the breath of the spirit and raises up not just a body but gives life to that body and not just a body but a mighty army. 
And we read that breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, that vast army. And it's a marvelous picture about how God would restore his wayward, fallen, and lifeless people. Well, sometimes when we're at a low point, sometimes it can be because of our own faithlessness or waywardness. Other times it's less about us and more about others, about the sin in the world, injustice, exploitation, greed, abuses of power and war. Or it may be much more random, like a pandemic, or simply down to the circumstances that we're experiencing. But whatever causes us to feel in the depths and to feel really low, when we're lifeless and we feel like dry bones, desperately needing life, then God is the one who can bring life to us. When we feel sapped of life, when we hit rock bottom, we should remember that all is not lost because Jesus is the rock when we can fall no further. He is our redeemer, the one who takes the initiative that we can benefit from if we get our relationship right with the Lord. Now, after Jesus' resurrection appearances, after the ascension, the disciples were alone again. Initially, they prayed and worshipped, especially when Jesus ascended. And they went to Jerusalem just as he told them to do, but I guess they probably felt a little bit low. Where they were on their own once again. How would they cope without Jesus? What was going to be ahead of them? But as they were united together in Jerusalem, and as they waited obediently for the promised gift, it was because of their righteousness, and as they followed the Lord's instruction, they were in the right place, that right relationship with God, to receive the gift when it came. And when the gift came, the breath of the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit, it came upon all the people. Rejoice. All is not lost. I believe the wind of the Holy Spirit can come upon the church today. I believe as we set ourselves and obediently wait on the Lord at this time, the Holy Spirit can come upon us, upon many nations, falling upon the church that we may rise up not as individuals but as a mighty army not to have a spiritual experience together, but to serve. We're in a society and a time now where the church is needed in our communities and in the world. In the 18th century, at that low point in the church, when the Wesleys were struggling, the Holy Spirit moved, and we know that there was a revival the Wesley brothers were part of that revival, and they had that deep experience of faith. Charles Wesley first on Pentecost, and then three days later, John, with his heartwarming experience. I don't need to tell you uh, what was written in his journal, all good Methodists, you should know. But he felt he did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. 
and he had that assurance given to him. It's my prayer on this Pentecost, as we gather together, as we return to church and wait on the Lord, as we are conscious of the dryness in our society and that feeling very low, that we need to be open to what the Lord will lead us into in the future. And I believe times of blessing are coming. So let us be in that right relationship and pray that the Holy Spirit may fall upon us, but not just us, but the whole of society, that we may know a revival again in these days. Not, as I say, that we may just enjoy worshipping together, but that we may roll up our sleeves to serve. And we pray, unlike those days when John Wesley found no one was saved, that we will find that actually people will be saved, all who call on the name of the Lord, just as Wesley did in his ministry. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life in you, that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. Let us just be quiet for a moment before our singers lead us. And I pray that you may just position your hands in an open position on your lap. And just think about those times when you felt very low recently. Think about the lowness of our society, the deadness of society. And pray that the Holy Spirit may fall upon us and the others, that there may be a revival of faith and service and community and life again. So as our singers sing, let us pray that we may be open to the breath of God. <laughs>